Markets with Sean Hackett. One is with Hackett Financial Advisors in Boca Raton, Florida, and he is a weekly guest here on the Moving Iron Podcast, and is gracious enough to come on here and talk about what's going on in the market. So, Sean, how you doing, man? How things been? Things are good. Things are good. Real good. I can't complain at all. We got some some lively markets today. So, well, good. Well, good. I'm in, I'm over here in Ukraine, so I haven't had actually had a chance to uh, check the markets and see what's been going on over there. Been traveling back around and trying to uh, hit the the proper windows and their uh, hours of operation in the U.S. So it's uh, about a nine-hour difference. So it's uh, sometimes that makes it a little bit. Let's start with that then. Let's talk about what's happening in the market right now because it is right now in Ukraine. It's about nine o'clock. So it's what two o'clock, two o'clock yes. in the afternoon in your local time. That's correct. Uh, so let's talk about talk about what's going on in the markets right now. And we're about an hour from the close. So what's uh, what's happening there? Well, I mean, right now, you know, uh, we have, you know, corn up about seven or eight, um, wheat's up uh, about 13, um, and, and which really set off the gray markets. Uh, you know, cotton's up over a dollar, uh, uh, hogs over a dollar. Trump tweeted this morning uh, that uh, he's optimistic about a trade deal and that they offered to not only not have on Sunday, but also roll back some of the prior tariffs by 50%. So that's what came oh, out wow. this morning. And the minute that came out, literally, the minute that came out, markets just jolted ahead and they've been kind of strong all day long. Um, so whether that's all believable or not, <laughs> uh, we'll find right. out. Yeah, that's exactly. Got the market been there before. Yeah. Been there before, but, but that's got yeah. excited today. So. Right on. All right. So let's talk about cotton a little bit here. So we're starting to see uh, some of the cotton over the last couple of months have started to show a, uh, a little bit of a fizzle. You know, they've kind of hit, they kind of a little more volatility um, upwards and downwards, but there's uh, there's big swings to the downward side and then they rebound a little bit and come back down to the downward side a little bit. Um, it looks like um, China has uh, stockpiles that are being auctioned off each day uh, at and they're kind of opening that floodgate up on some cotton that they've got stored up. So let's talk about that cotton market a little bit, what you see happening there. Well, you know, cotton is moved around by, uh, are they, is this deal going to get done or not? Which, which we know, um, yeah, we did run up a lot. I mean, we were down at 55 cents. We rallied up to 65 cents and that was big resistance. And so the market kind of is pausing and saying, you know, do we need to go higher? And, um, and I think it's been happy to kind of sit here and pause and take a breather until it can better ascertain, A, what's going on with monetary policy, B, what's actually going on with the global economy, and C, is this trade deal going to get done? And if so, how much buying will the Chinese be in for cotton? Um, and so I think that's why the market's paused, because it's just, I think for now we've done enough, so we're willing to wait and watch these other factors for a while until we get clear direction. So. Yeah. Okay. 
So let's talk about the hogs that you that, that you brought up here earlier. The hogs have kind of made a rebound. Plus, what you, you know, we've talked about AFS on here uh, or ASF many times on this podcast about what the impact it's had on the on the Chinese herd and, and what they're doing overnight. And it looks like we're starting to see some of that residual effect of what we saw, maybe similar to some of that beginning of their buying habits in uh, in China or in China in Brazil uh, when China came to the table in there. So I guess talk about that a little bit and. And what you see happening there? Well, remember they low, they lowered <clears throat> and or removed much most of the tariffs on U.S. hogs just recently. So, you know, we've, we've talked about this in the past that they will buy what they need for sure, no matter what the trade deal is. We know they need pork. We know pork is the cheapest in the world right now by a lot. So uh, they're buying a lot. And the good news for U.S. <clears throat> first quarter and the second quarter, we'll see production in the U.S. fall markedly. Um, and so this wall of supply that's been keeping the market, uh, you know, keeping the governor on this market, keeping breaking out, will be removed as we moved into January. And if this demand that we've been seeing continues, this should really, really set this market up for, a, we think, a pretty big sizable move, at least going back, we think, testing that 90 cent area, you know, that, did, that we did earlier in the year. So we're pretty excited that we're nearing the end of the U.S. oversupply situation, we're moving into uh, you know a U.S. supply shortage based upon current export demand. Don't forget, NAFTA was agreed to a couple of days ago, so that's done, and it looks like uh, you know the Mexicans are going to be increasing their exports of pork as well. So, pretty good news heading into a very low, you know, a much lower supply part of the season in the first half. So, yeah. All right, so so per your comments earlier, um, you know, December fifteenth is knocking on the door here, and that is a another line in the sand <clears throat> where uh, where the uh, U.S. has an opportunity to raise or an opportunity, I guess, but has has stated they're going to raise tariffs on so China doesn't come to the table, things squared away. Um, you got to think a little bit here. You know, Trump's uh, looks like he's supposed to be meeting with some of his advisors today to talk about that, that December fifteenth deadline. Um, it kind of feels like this might be one of those uh, chances for them to to maybe do a, some kind of a act of goodwill or something like that, where they might um, forego that. Honestly, kind of feel like there's some opportunity there to. Maybe extend some extend the olive, olive branch of sorts. Look, you know, I, I think we're finally at the point where I, you know, Trump's looking at the calendar. He's looking at the election. He's looking at how to best proceed. And I think what he's decided to do, you know, we'll know this for sure over the weekend. But what I think he's decided to do uh, is say, right now, cutting a, a any deal or any kind of a deal is better than no deal. And he can say that the Democrats had the control for eight years as president in Congress, and for eight years they did nothing. And I went in here, I tried to do something. I got an initial deal done, phase one. If you vote for me again, I'll finish the job. I think that's his pitch uh, that he wants to have going into the elections. Right. Now, so he can say that. And it looks to me from what you know, what came out today in the press directly from them that his advisors offered this olive branch. We're not going to raise these tariffs on Sunday and we'll cut their prior tariffs by 50%. Uh, you know, if you, 
you know, if, if, if you, if you kind of do a few of the things that we want here in terms of increasing your ad purchases, we're willing to do that. So to me, that is as big an olive branch as you're going to get. And it says to me, Trump's ready for now to do a deal and, and kind of worry about this again after he gets elected, if he gets elected again. Right. Well, that'll be easy thing for him to, like you just said, and, and that during the debates and everything else, to leading up to the uh, to up to November of 2020, where he can say, "Look, you know, I told you I was going to go to bat for the U.S. and make some things happen with the Chinese, and look where we're at now, and think of what's going to be like the next four years if we get a chance to keep moving this thing forward." There's a good possibility that you could see something like that. I mean, that that's kind of been my thought process, I guess, for lack of a better term during this this whole thing is that you know, as as the uh, elections grew closer that you would see some more level of uh, cooperation or less bullheadedness or, or more apt to deal or however you want to put it uh, from from Trump and his advisors. And look, if you look at the NAFTA rework, he actually gave the Democrats a lot of what they wanted because I also think he wants to show that mm-hmm. to fix this, I did it. I got something going with China, there's more to come. He knows, you know, the economy, the US economy is fragile. He doesn't, he can't do any more tax cuts. Infrastructure right. spending is dead. So how can I stimulate the US economy enough so that it looks good come the summer and the fall when everyone's going to the to the voting uh, box? And I think you know, improved trade would certainly be an important tailwind that he, that could help him you know, keep things going just long enough to get him back in. And so, so I really, you know, for the first time, like you've said before correctly, Casey, this may actually be the time where what they're actually saying is true. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. That'd be something, wouldn't it? <clears throat> um, all right. So let's bounce over here and take a look at this. One thing that I've, I've been watching fairly closely here of late and keeping some some good notes on it is the uh, prices. And this is about the fourth week in a row where you've seen a steady decline in the overall choice cuts out there that are that are on uh, cold storage. So I guess, but on the same side, you know, we've watched that the actual cattle price go up uh, and they're in, we kind of level off a little bit and kind of go back and forth a little bit, but we've seen, or we've seen, uh, a growth in in what the price looks like, but I've been watching this this box beef price out here, and and especially on the choice cuts, and there has been some uh, some strong downward movement on that. I guess talk about that a little bit there. Well, you know, uh, there's a lot of seasonality to beef demand. You know, we know that there's a seasonal week period mm-hmm. here in December um, as you get holiday demand uh, behind you, you get to kind of reach this air pocket where domestic consumption falls off a little bit. I mean, it's just, it's just natural to see that. And, uh, uh, and so we're in this seasonal week period of time. The market has stalled. We are seeing some prices backing off. Um, and, and so it's a time for the market to kind of back and fill and reassess. However, however, as we move this quarter, uh, U.S. beef production is going to fall off significantly um, at a time where it appears uh, that China purchases, Japanese purchases, of U.S. beef are going to be increasing. And the other big factor we're really watching is a lot of people may not know is that we import a lot of, of uh, beef from Australia and New Zealand for more of the, the, the kind of hamburger meat kind of cuts. And um, 
What we know what's going on in Australia is that after a third year of a drought, they've basically liquidated everything they can. And it looks like they're going to have to stop. And, the, and it looks like some rains are coming, which means their supplies that are available to the U.S. are going to completely dry up, which takes a huge supply factor that usually comes into the U.S. in the first half off the table. So, so while this pause is expected, uh, it's understandable, uh, it's seasonal, but we don't believe it's, it's terminal. We just short-term pause before we kind of fire things up again and get the supply demand back out of balance again. So we think it could be a soft market, sideways market, maybe into the first of the year. And then we think things can fire up again as we do one more surge highs, uh, you know, into the late first quarter, into the early part of the second quarter. So. Right on. Okay. It's kind of carrying the uh, overall grain markets as we as we uh, go throughout the day here. And I would be remiss if I didn't actually bring up wheat here since I'm in since I'm in Ukraine. Well, this wheat uh, producing countries on, in the uh, the Black Sea region for sure, if not in uh, in the top five in the whole world here. So let's talk about the wheat market a little bit. What you see happening there? That has been one of those crops that we've watched kind of go back year long it's been a, a a a leader in the marketplace it's been a um a follower in the marketplace and it's been a trendsetter at the same time so um wheat's kind of been all over the board what do you, what do you see happening in the wheat market right now a lot of things happening out there whether it's uh like you said like the, the australian uh, drought in there the 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 the, uh, the wet uh, planting season we've seen in in eastern or western Europe, and um, also we have had some dryness over here in, in Ukraine and the Black Sea region as well. So let's talk about wheat right now, and, and what what are some opportunities for some growth there? Well, the biggest thing that we see is that uh, Ukraine and Russian wheat exports are falling substantially uh, over the last you know forty five mm-hmm. to sixty days. And, you know, they, Russia has become the dominant exporter, has become the dominant exporter over the last several years. And, um, and there were the wheat prices domestically in Russia are up over 16%, you know, over the last month, month and a half, uh, because they're just not able, they're just not exporting what they're supposed to be or what the market has been accustomed to. So if they're not getting it from them, you know, Australia is certainly not going to have anything to give them. You know, uh, it's going to be the U.S. that's going to start so we have been getting more and more business. Our exports, one of the few bright spots, Casey, for grain exports consistently throughout the back half of the year has been strong U.S. wheat exports. And so we're pretty optimistic that that is going to continue to be a good driver here. And certainly all the things you mentioned with um, a tough start to the winter wheat crop uh, in the U.S. over in, uh, over in uh, Europe, uh, you know, as we come out of dormancy in the spring, should weather turn uh, continue to be adverse, you know, we, we can really be looking at something pretty interesting because when we look at stocks to usage ex-China for wheat, uh, we're at the tightest stocks to usage ex-China since 2012. Uh, so we really, you know, unless China decides they want to sell a bunch of wheat to the rest of the world and assuming the rest of the world wants the quality, the low quality wheat that they have, you know, we really can't have any more hiccups here. I mean, we really have to have something good go on with some big countries that produce a lot of wheat or else it could get really exciting this spring. And so we think that's going to be, uh, 
a pretty persistent driver here of U.S. prices going forward, especially if the dollar continues to weaken, uh, as it looks like that it has. It will continue to do so. Yep. Yeah, no, as, as I've been doing this podcast with you and, and listening to what you have to say, wheat is one of those things where I have the most optimism of any crop that we that we grow in the U.S. It just feels like there's a, a great opportunity over the next coming year, just based on weather patterns, what we see happening in some key growing areas of, of the world, that there, there could be a an overall uh, supply issue with, as we move through uh, the 2020 marketing year. Well, what I find very interesting, Casey, is that just like any little, you know, slightly bullish news at all, and we, we've been seeing, we've had lots of double-digit gains, and we, even though it hasn't been able to, to keep it going, you know, persistently, but we've had a lot of these double-digit gains out of nowhere showing that this market is kind of nervous. It, 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 it's very antsy right. to, to move higher double digits on a consistent basis where it's, you know, we haven't been seeing that in the other markets. So, so I think that's telling you that we have a very nervous market uh, that's very uh, fragile at this point to any further supply problems that may come along. And so I agree with you. I think this is a market to watch. It could be you know, certainly the leader over the winter months. So. All right. So another market to watch that we've talked about here a few times, a couple of them actually I want to bring up. One is, is the sugar market because of the issue when we start talking about sugar beets and what we see happen, not necessarily just in the U.S., but across the entire world in key sugar beet growing areas. Um, we're over in Ukraine where it's a large sugar beet producing area uh, right now. And, and as we take a look at what's happened with sugar beets and sugar itself, um, there's some issues there that, that are going to cause, you know, like we, like you've talked about, um, they're going to cause some issues with the, uh, the global market. The global market is a little bit different than, than the other commodities that we see out there. Usually the, the U.S. is fairly isolated when it comes to its sugar market, as we've talked about in the past. But as you take a stop and take a look um, and the U.S. starts coming to the table and having to buy some, some uh, sugar from around the world, there could be a, a great opportunity for sugar uh, moving into the next three or four months. We could have, you could see a really good movement in sugar as a whole. I agree. I mean, everywhere I look, we've not, we've, we've had problems. We had a problem with the U S sugar beet crop. We had problems with the uh, European sugar beet crop. We had some problems with the, the Russian sugar beet crop. We had uh, the sugar cane crop uh, in India down 15 to 20%. We had the sugar cane crop in Thailand down 15 to 20% all due to bad weather. And because Brazil continues to push or ethanol uh, and, and less and less production of sugar cane, their sugar production is down some 30% over the last couple of years, and there's no end in sight to that continued ratio switch. So the International Sugar Organization, the ISO, came out and increased their deficit, supply-demand deficit for global sugar supplies uh, this year to uh, 6 to 7 million metric tons, which is the largest deficit since 2015 when the sugar market 20. So, so if you look at a chart, we talked about breaking over 13 would really be a sign of a market building ahead of steam. And we did that this week. I think we closed today at 13 and a half. Yep. And this market higher. It looks really, really uh, good to us that this market has much further to go. So we think the price is finally catching up with the fundamentals. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, there, there's all kinds of signs out there uh, that, that jump out at you when it comes to what you see happen in the sugar market. So that's definitely something to pay attention to. And there's a good opportunity there to, uh, 
to watch those fundamentals move. And, and uh, like you always say, volatility uh, gives you a chance to make some money. And I think that there's a chance. Yeah, volati volatility is always your friend. Um, without any volatility, okay. there's no opportunity. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right, one last thing. We'll, we'll uh, close it up with this. Let's jump over and talk and take a look So we stream milk, kind of bound milk's doing. When you start looking at uh, the fundamentals with uh, milk powder and what's happening in New Zealand and Australia as well, um, you know, New Zealand and Australia, or New Zealand anyway, <clears throat> pretty much supply the world with class four milk powder, what that what that looks like and how that all plays into the marketplace. And they are struggling right now to make sure things happen the way they're supposed to. So um marketplace, you know, I I I attention to that and watching that move around um just from a from a forge harvester perspective. Um we watched the price of milk go from in the low low to mid teens up into the twenties now. And uh luckily this class four thing is, is kind of really uh, kind of taking that place uh, of, of what we saw happen in class three milk and kind of still keep kind of bringing that up. How long can that last and, and what do you think the future for the milk market looks like moving into twenty twenty? <laughs> Short term, you know, it, we're actually a little bearish here. I mean at some point the market factors weather in in fact, our supply problems in. And when we went back and we looked at the three right. primary years that New Zealand had production problems, and in every single one of those years, we topped out uh, by early January and had some kind of a correction into, into the April, spring you know, spring timeframe. And so we would expect that, that we would see that kind of a, a pause, a relief decline after a pretty spirited run. We don't think it's the end of a longer term bull market in milk, but we do think there's a pricing opportunity here uh, based upon the fact that the market got a little high, there is demand destruction that takes place in dairy when we reach, you know, class three prices in the 19 to 20. There is demand destruction that comes. Play. We know U.S. production is starting to improve, and we do know that Chinese like to binge buy, uh, you know, milk aggregates into the end of the year, and then they back off for a little while. So everything says to us, Casey, that there's probably a dip coming here. Uh, you know, not a major dip. I would say more of a shallow correction, but a correction nonetheless, we've been suggesting that uh, dairy producers in the U.S. take this opportunity to get some milk price for the first half of the year. You know, we think the profits are pretty good, um, and we do think there's going to be a pause here. So it's a, it's kind of a, kind of a short-term bearish view. Longer term, we remain very optimistic that we still have much higher, you know, higher levels to go to. So at this point, we just think it's a time for the pause in the market. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. Well, that was one of those those opportunities there where milk was actually going to had a rebound for a minute, and and uh, we'll see what happens as, as things move forward. I'm excited to see what happens there because, I, like you said, there's, there might be some opportunities and there might be some areas for correction. Like you said, you got to sell sooner or later. So, Sean, good stuff as usual. Folks, want to reach out to you and, and pick your brain or just see what the latest information you have. What's the best place to do? Our, uh, our website, Casey, is always best at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Our homepage is filled with information, and so your listeners can to see uh, if what we uh, do and what we put out is worth it to them. Right on. Well, this is Casey.
my podcast, you can check me out on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and about anywhere else that you can find a podcast. Also, hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, even on LLC. And also, go to the globalagnetwork.com. There you can find information about the Moving Iron Podcast and a lot of great other uh, podcasts that are listed out there. And check out their uh, their newsletter they have. You can sign up for it to get all the latest information about the Moving, uh, Moving Iron Podcast and other great uh, podcasters that are available. So... I guess until next time, Sean, uh, this is Casey Seymour and Sean Hackett. Let's go move some iron. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century.